everyone and welcome to the Business Chief Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you are all doing well. We've got another exciting episode for you, which we are joined by two special guests, brothers actually, Gabino and Stephen Roach, co-founders of Sapphire. They discuss overcoming risk aversion in finance and how Sapphire is disrupting an inefficient system. Hope you enjoy the episode. So if uh, just for an introductory question, if you just want to tell me a little bit about yourselves and describe your careers prior to the founding of Sapphire. Um, well, kind of my background, it's uh, I- I'm always build uh, technology products from scratch, right? And that's always been kind of my thing. Um, I started at AT&T corporate, wasn't in the dot-com era, worked at UPS corporate, but it, really at McKinsey is where I learned how to build product, software products faster to market. And that's been kind of our, our shtick, uh, definitely for Sapphire. When I left McKinsey, uh, and then, by the way, McKinsey helped put me in touch with the thought leaders in this space. In fact, uh, McKinsey has now a practice called um, uh, their digital office or whatnot, the digital practice, where they, they focus on this. But the thought leaders who invented, like, you know, Scrum and uh, a lot of other folks in there who talked about user experience design carried over. I went to the New York Stock Exchange at the height of the financial crisis. It was kind of hectic to help them run a startup division. Uh, yeah, it was not a, it was a, it was a rough road, but it taught me a lot of how to actually put out products in front of these financial institutions that did not have a lot of money and we needed to prove the value. When I wound up leaving there, I went to JP Morgan for about five and a half years and I sat in their custody fund services business, um, sitting in the business operations, but overseeing, uh, technology, uh, implementations to support our internal and external clients. And then I went over to the corporate investment bank where there's the capital markets business uh, as well. And I helped them um, revamp some of their internal KYC and client onboarding processes. Um, from there, JP asked me to help uh, turn around a startup consortium that they did with Goldman, State Street, Barclays, Credit Suisse, and DTCC. They were working on it for you know two years um, and they, they needed to kind of ter- get the product working and rolling out. So they asked us to do kind of like a six month turnaround uh, which when I, I went on board and, you know, helped uh, bring a team on board and we together, the, the organization turned it around and we wound up selling the consortium to Thomson Reuters. The reason why that history all matters is when we get into Sapphire, we learned what five of the streets major banks were doing in this space, but then also what their clients in the buy side arena needed and kind of mapping those together. I could talk about that a little further, but that's how we all uh, got to where we are today. That's great. And, uh, a little bit about my background. I, uh, I've been, unlike my brother, who's been developing, creating, and actually inventing technology, I uh, took the route of uh, business development and consulting around emerging technology and telecommunications. Uh, I've worked with a lot of Fortune 1000 companies, and it's always been a challenge to try to introduce new technology to these companies as they always view IT and operations as an expense. So it's, it's hard to get them to embrace and take a chance on something new, although I've been enthralled about learning about technologies all the time. And it's a great experience to try to convince them to get to that round C dot ROI. And kind of how it bleeds into this fintech space is that I, during this 20 plus year experience I've had, I ended up um, you know, being involved when uh, virtualization came out, when VMware introduced that technology and I was doing a lot of data center work and it was kind of the inception and the route to getting to cloud infrastructure. And um, I worked with a lot of startups, uh, helping them become successful around a SaaS model. 
uh, and those same startups that went through the trials and tribulations of the year, you know, the late 2000s and early uh, 20 teens uh, has been a learning experience for myself because I would introduce them to the same Fortune 1000, help them realize a successful model that works. And that experience has allowed me to advise Gabino and the Sapphire team on how to allocate their resources and operations and growth, whether it's just in marketing, uh, you know, subscription models um, and employment, right? So that's all helped and been useful. And we kind of complemented each other through these past three and a half years. So you've uh, you've talked uh, about your previous experience. I can kind of see where the motivations for founding Sapphire might have originated. But can you um, please just summarize for me what it was you really wanted to achieve with the company? So, so what was interesting is that um, the the former consortium that I was a part of was looking at trying to reduce costs and create a utility for the industry, and that always sounds great. But uh, my background is really around product development and building a product is only half the battle. The other half of the battle is actually planning the adoption strategy. How do you get clients, individual users, or even institutions to adopt a new technology that's never existed before? And I'm a big believer in um, appealing to the selfish interest of the client. (laughs) And even though cost reductions sound great, revenue is always better. And so what, what, what I had discovered is that the, you know, a lot of times in this world, and if you're not familiar with finance, there's something they call buy side, sell side, custodians, right? And all that. Mm-hmm. Um, the buy sides are the clients for these institutions, uh, these sell side institutions. The sell sides, which are primarily banks, right? Uh, usually have the budget to pay for brand new technologies. The buy side, not so much, because you can have the Gabino pathetic hedge fund with five bucks to his name. He's making some risky bets, but he's not going to invest a lot in new technologies, right? Um, so a lot of the fintechs pitch themselves to the sell side and they forget the buy side. And then the buy side feels compelled to use all these disparate tools that doesn't create a cohesive ecosystem for them to do their business easily. So everything that we were trying to address in this space was really what we call pre-trade. So before you even buy or sell any type of instruments, uh, you know, what are all the things you have to actually assemble? Um, and so that's a way to kind of reduce costs for middle and back office. But what we had said is, what if we give a way to get new business onboarded faster so it's new revenue? And as a byproduct of getting new revenue, we can reduce costs. But let's highlight the revenue portion first. And a typical example you would, I always throw out there is imagine Coca-Cola starts a new pension fund for their employees. They got $500 million. And they'll hire two investment managers today to kind of do that work, right? And one of them would be like a BlackRock, which was mentioned in our press release, right, a mm. couple weeks back. Um, and you know, maybe, and they'll do it with another investment manager and then they got it on board with a custodian, right? But that's all new money coming in. And, and when you help them do that, not only does a buy side have incentives to use this because it helps speed that process so they can start trading and making money for Coca-Cola, but then the sell sites and custodians are making money because they got more money to come in they're collecting interest and fees. So everyone's motivated to kind of grasp onto this. So that's the key, but that's only part of the story. That's the carrot or the candy we use to attract people onto the platform. Our strategy really is to digitize the pre-trade space, not just for the benefit of trading, but also for trading and post-trade. And this is where we'll get into more of the patented technology and what we're doing with that, because this is what's going to disrupt the industry. This is what's game-changing, but you can't convince people of the game-changer if you don't give them a way in, right? Mm. Steven? 
Uh, well, I mean, he said it best. I'd be taking away a lot of other parts of that. I mean, I'd only be <laughs> echoing a lot more. So I think he's got the, the answer to that question. I would interject in, a, in another part. But yeah, no, definitely. We have a unique space in here. Uh, and he chose to take on this endeavor because the, the status quo wasn't answering to the call. And they were kind of happy keeping their pseudo monopolies and not allowing um, innovation to take place. And we're, we're kind of making that happen right now. Yeah, I would say just to add to that is we actually pitched this idea back in 2017 uh, to some of these firms um, and they they were always already sore from all the money they had spent on the other initiatives that they didn't want to even entertain it. Mm. Um, and I think if you think about what I talked about from the McKinsey model and, and, and you know, the agile concepts and some of these thought leaders in the agile and UX space, we're a lean, mean machine, right? So I knew it would just be easier and faster if we, if I just developed this on our own. In fact, I started the company in May of 2017. We had our first live product in the fall of 2017. We went live with our first client in the spring, March of 2018. So uh, that's rather pretty quick. Now the, the product has, has drastically matured and we're light years from anything else that's out there. But it's, it's truly empowering when you can actually execute. If you understand the business and you're learning along the way, uh, without all the typical bureaucracy at these big institutions, we have to get multiple approvals and everyone's got an opinion and you got to somehow show that you considered everyone's opinion. And, and that's what takes so long. This is where we just cut through all that and just deliver to what, what actually the client needs. Yeah, it definitely seems like a very unique proposition. So how would you quantify how exactly Sapphire is different from its competitors in the space? Yeah. I'll tell you, there are no competitors in this space. Uh, <laughs> before how we, we entered this space because nobody was doing it. I mean, mm. they're imitators and imitation is flattery, but uh, there's no competition. Um, the fact that we have 48 patents uh, globally recognized is another a testament to the ethical work we put together on Sapphire uh, and all the great momentum and news that we've had going behind it. Uh, there are people who are trying to fill in the gaps in the space. And they're trying to figure it out, but they haven't owned it. Um, yeah, I would, I would actually say it's, what we want to do is be better than a, a paper online form, right? We want to have some intelligence here and, and memory to be able to carry this forward in a meaningful way uh, for these uh, different institutions and their businesses. Um, so uh, that's just taking it a step further. I think traditionally, you know, uh, Steve has said this previously, you know, you, when you think fintech, you probably think, you know, like the Silicon Valley technology, right? Mm. Apple, uh, you know, Google, Facebook. Um, but you'd be surprised in finance. There's a lot of, you know, Windows 95 and mainframes still out there. <laughs> and, and there's pseudo monopolies, honestly, who are vested in keeping. So the innovation doesn't uh, get inspired because there isn't real competition. Um, and now in the space, because primarily the pre-trade space, when institutions in the finance space make investments, they invest in trading and post-trade because that's where the money is to be made and the volumes to be addressed. And when they, when they do their post-trade, right, they got, you know, 48 hours, in some cases, you know, four days to close the trade so they can settle the accounts, right, and everyone makes their money that way and whatnot. But pre-trade, you know, I'm not going to say it gets ignored, but that's why we still have a lot of email, faxes, spreadsheets going on, right? Mm-hmm. And all that manual stuff that's happening is creating exponentially more expensive mistakes the longer they last, not just in the life cycle of the trade, but the life cycle of the fund. And so what happens is you have these institutions um, that are in this space today, they're putting out solutions to kind of put band-aids and sell it, right? To solve this one little problem. And it's, it's the, it's, 
it's the Advil for the headache or whatnot, but then really you, you got to address the, the root cause of that maybe, which is a, it's a more core, core problem. And this is where if Sapphire is doing things from the point of inception, right? A lot of this other stuff doesn't have to happen the same way anymore. It can actually change. We're actually consolidating and, and looking at them and not doing these silos between pre-trade, trading, post-trade. And in fact, pre-trade and here are all the things you need for trading post-trade. You don't need to redo these steps over and over again, which we can talk about more in a bit. So for such a kind of new and unchallenged proposition in the market, what are the most significant challenges that you've had to overcome so far? Okay, well, the I think there's two parts to this, right? Well, yeah, it's earning credibility. I talk about my background. When you're trying to pitch new ideas to companies, they're, they're afraid to take risks. That's even heightened more so in finance because they're very risk averse. And if you're not a known quantity and you're not a, a company that uh, has uh, maybe board members or from a major firm or a major fintech firm, uh, you're a little bit outcasted. So it, that's that's probably a big significant piece of this that uh, Gabino and I have worked through to help earn that credibility and reputation. I think his stellar background on delivering for some of the firms in his past and uh, saving some of those investments has helped open some of the initial doors. But you still have a pretty steep hill to climb. Um, we, you know, we're always thought the success would come a little quicker. But go ahead. No, no. Yeah, I, uh, to add to that is is uh, you know something that happens in the industry typically. From what I hear, from my own experience in the industry, is that you have people coming in showing PowerPoint slides, right, and, and screenshots, and they promise, promise, it's coming, it's coming, and six months go by, a year go by, nothing gets delivered. That's how a lot of these, you know, pseudo monopolies have been surviving. They just pitch to the executives or with these brochures, uh, you know, of a picture of a car that looks really nice, but that car never actually gets delivered. Or if it does, right, you're just getting incremental bits here and there, but not the actual whole solution. And then when you have an unknown quantity, like a startup coming in saying they can do all these things, well, can they really? And they're, they're quite small. It's funny, like one of the things I get, we get asked is like, how many people do you have in your FinTech firm? And if they hear, you know, talking 25, 30 people, like, well, how are you going to support my business? And my answer, our answer is always, well, if I have to hire armies of people to support your business, and I'm not selling you technology, I'm spoofing technology with armies of people behind me to pretend that we've got this intelligent platform. Um, so if you create real in, uh, intelligent platforms, it's actually scalable on its own, it's self-serve, um, and, and it's smarter. Now, to, to, to further my brother's point, what happens is that sometimes in the finance industry, executives are getting pitched these other solutions, right, compared to ours but they're not the ones driving the car. They see a, a beautiful Ferrari, maybe, on the brochure that promised that Ferrari from a name that they're familiar with. And then we have the actual Ferrari sitting in front of them they can drive today from Sapphire, right? Um, so their users always love the experience. Uh, that's a big part we're, we're bringing into, uh, into the finance world is a, a phenomenal user experience. We're extremely proud of it. Part of our patented technology is that the user experience helps to drive behavior to understand the intent of the financial players and how they're communicating the data. Um, uh, I, I got to go into this little rabbit hole for a second, but to, for you to understand what I mean, when people say the word fund, and this is going to come into the AI technology when we get to it a little bit later, but the word fund is a loaded word. Uh, people say the word fund and they expect you to know what they mean, but they don't say if it's a legal entity recognized by 
government and uh, regulators and institutions, um, a sub account or mandate sleeve and jacket underneath that fund uh, or that entity, I should say, a special purpose vehicle, a holding company. These nuances are important when you're documenting this stuff from a legal standpoint and a financial standpoint. And so what Sapphire is actually doing is mapping this stuff. Uh, the reason why I put this forward to you is, again, the brochure doesn't go into that. But the users who you drive the car see the speed. And so when even if they deliver a car that maybe has a skin of the Ferrari and maybe not so much, it's, it doesn't even have an engine. Right. And so that's the piece that the gap that we have to overcome. And some of these other players say, oh, yeah, the engine's coming. And people say, OK, let's wait instead of trying something new. And I think the press release helped break that glass ceiling for us quite a bit because you've got two big players in the industry now kind of saying, you know what? No, these guys are for real. And it's actually working for us. We'll, uh, we'll be coming on to discuss that press release, of course, in a few minutes. But uh, something else I wanted to mention, which is quite a prevalent topic at the minute, is RegTech, and particularly how in, its, in a kind of new and increasingly digital world, it's becoming pretty much indispensable to financial services. So bearing that in mind, how does Sapphire help to optimize revenue streams and enhance the client experience? Well, I don't know if you want to touch the UI part. Um, uh, yeah, but you, do, you talked about it already a little bit with uh, with the UI. So a lot of these firms, they just do business a certain way. They We have one firm calling uh, funds, funds, another one calling a fund ID, another one calling a ticker ID, a mnemonic. Okay. It's still a fund, but they don't want to change the nomenclature or the way they speak. Uh, part of this patented technology will remember their language. Hey, they're speaking French and the other group is speaking Italian. <laughs> Let's translate those languages between each other so we don't have to disrupt the way they talk or do work. Because that's really ultimately what people want to do is not, not change their daily business job. They just want to get their job done. And technology helps with that. That's part of the user experience piece of your question there to help streamline all that. And it's been very beneficial, not only between two parties, but multi-parties. So when you're entering documents or contracts because you just got awarded business and you're sending it to your brokers and custodians and your corporate clients, uh, we're remembering the relationships of that data and documents and you know, pro auto-prompting in that user experience for them, making them do minimal work, very intuitive. And that's part of the whole client experience and white glove treatment we're giving yeah. clients. So part of the part of the challenge here is I used to build fixed engines at the New York Stock Exchange. Fix is a financial messaging protocol. It's a standard. The reality is people bastardize that standard today. <laughs> Even as they you know you have these fixed position messages, you're supposed to do the tags correctly. ISDA, another standard. People bastardize ISDA anyways, right? So you have people who are working in, in jobs for 20 years. And, and their organization has built a data model internally in their systems so of how they have a taxonomy, how that data point is called. And it will carry forward like that because you would have to change that entire organization's internal uh, systematic uh, infrastructure to try to adopt a new religion or standard to stay consistent. This is one of the reasons why blockchain has been a challenge to adopt. So what Sapphire is actually doing is doing the homework in pre-trade at the point of inception when a new fund or uh, onboarding is happening. We do this for legacy business, but again, you asked me about revenue. We're starting with the revenue type of new business coming in. And what happens is that we actually map for it for how every firm needs to see that information. And then when it gets exchanged externally, this is where the gaps happen, right? And so let's say, you know, Steve talked about some of these identifiers, they all kind of mean the same thing, but a lot of folks don't understand how to kind of map them together. This is where Sapphire has done that homework and we actually structure that for our patented technology to remember and understand it. Uh, now, how does it come into play for RegTech? The big challenge is collecting this information. 
So a lot of rec tech goes to, they go to public forums like the SEC's website. Uh, you've got public information that's out there that you can search in Google um, to get this information. And that is generally structured. What the challenge is, is there's a ton of private information that you cannot collect unless you're going directly to the individual parties or those institutions to collect them. Sapphire is this Windows operating system of the pre-trade space. And so we are actually uh, interoperable with multiple platforms that do this kind of work, but we are helping these, these institutions put that private data onto our platform. We're structuring it. We're remembering its relationship, not to like what Steven says, bilaterally, but multilaterally. The fact that Coca-Cola may be the underlying client on the pension fund, that you know, uh, there's a global custodian, that BlackRock is an investment manager and it's being uh, uh, dealt out to several broker dealers. So that's how we maintain that. It helps to speed that new business on, but in terms of trading and post-trade, we now clean up the mistakes to know that you can actually start trading on that new fund. And then secondly, when you're in post-trade, you know how to settle it, perhaps even on the same day. So you may hear these terms like T0, like in 48 hours, they try to, to settle the trade or, or they, they go out to maybe even 72 hours and whatnot. Um, but T0 is the Nirvana state. And the reason why is because some of these sell-side brokers have to scramble to find all the information for these new funds or if the information is not correct to make sure they're actually debiting and crediting the correct, the, the correct accounts, right, in the settlement process. Let's, uh, let's discuss the JP Morgan and BlackRock press release then. That was a big bit of news for the Sapphire, and uh, I'm really interested to know the extent of that collaboration. Um, specifically, I'd like to know why you were selected, what the specific challenges that you'll be addressing are, and what your desired outcomes are for this partnership. Yeah, we, we were selected because we're the only ones in this space, right? Uh-huh. They were tired of the pseudo-monopolies. They were tired of selling for, you know, our premium financial firms are dealing with 1980s you know, technology of faxing data information, okay? Uh, It's just not acceptable. It doesn't even meet some of the SEC guidelines, right? So we're helping streamline that whole process for them. Uh, They know we have a lock on it between the patents and understanding and owning the space. We start by assembling this information correctly and we're owning it for the trade and post trade, which is the attractive piece for them. And we're reducing uh, huge amounts of costs and overhead on the post trades. Uh, we're leading to other things like elimination of trade breaks, uh, auto allocations, uh, instant settlement instructions. Uh, these are just things that they love learning and listening about and actually seeing the execution of it, right? It's because of our reputation and consistency of executing that has led to this great news and press release we, we just uh, released uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, the uh, believe it or not, William, um, the in the post-trade space, they wind up redoing a lot of the work that was done in pre-trade, but they didn't do it correctly or they didn't map it correctly, and then they find the mistakes afterwards. Well, what if you didn't have to have to do it again? What if you got it right to from the get-go? And then we can even show you the answers in post-trade. Or perhaps as part of your post-trade, you we can help you gather that information so that forward from that point forward, you'll have it right in perpetuity, right? And we can maintain it. That's where the gap is. That's why you have these ad hoc emails and faxes that come in and people are just doing their day, day jobs and those things get lost. Um, in terms of you know, how we were selected and whatnot. I mean, these two firms we've been working with, honestly, for the last three and a half years, right? Uh, they, they, they've been aware of us. There's others as well. They were just not at liberty to kind of call them out. But the, the, the part that was so, so significant uh, two weeks ago when the news came out is that uh, traditionally when you onboard with broker dealers and you onboard with custodians, it's two siloed pieces. The world has segregated these activities 
um, because it's just the volumes have been so huge and the, the, the skills that are needed to do those two types of, uh, types of activities are very unique. So what's happened is the data set has been disparate and then you have people who understand one set and then people who understand the other set and they don't come together necessarily. So a buy side firm, you know, uh, onboarding with a custodian and then going onboarding with a broker dealer, it's a two disparate system. And then the broker dealer from a trading perspective is trying to ad hoc collect all this information from the custodians to kind of map it. What's revolutionary is that Sapphire has shown we can actually take all this custody data, map it, enrich it in real time to multiple broker dealers on the behalf of these buy side firms. And now this is where the opportunity around trading and post trade comes into play because it's the custodians, right, that are, are the safekeeping accounts that are holding those account numbers where you have to debit and credit things, right? So now that we understand how this all relates across the board, this is where the revolution can really take place. Now, I understand that Sapphire holds over 48 patents, which is quite impressive considering uh, it's only been three years in operation. So can you please let me know uh, how you maintain that spirit of innovation? Is it the workplace culture that allows you to achieve that continuous achievement? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I think what's really um, what, what actually motivates people is when you truly empower them. Right. Uh, you know, we, we really try to infuse the excitement. But uh, let me just tell you, like I've worked in many companies and I always say we want to empower our people. We want innovation. We want this. We want that. But then there's a difference when you actually liberate them and let mm. them do it. Um, you know, there's a tolerance for making mistakes in finance, to be honest with you part of the struggles of innovating. And I say this respectfully, I came from really great companies. Okay. I've, I've seen it. You are risk averse by nature. We're working in finance. You've got all these compliance and regulatory folks coming in. You've have even compliance officers who are there to tell you, you didn't do something right. You're going through paper checklist uh, activities to say, okay, I did this thing as a robot and, and whatnot. And so, and there's ceremonies that need to be done to kind of just show the optics that you are being careful and all that, all that weight comes down on crushing innovation and empowerment because then people become afraid. So if you actually, what we, what we do is in Sapphire is um, we have a, what I call two time zone framework. Okay. So, uh, and let me explain how it actually starts. So we have a team, who, you know, who are, are product managers, user experience designers, and subject matter experts in the industry, right? And we're constantly working together with our clients in mapping out and actually designing the actual screens for how that's supposed to work. And then we play a story. We actually create clickable experiences and we run it through multiple times every week. And then that is where the innovation is actually happening. Okay. Where we're actually planning out the story. The current time zone are the technology folks actually coding away who we teach the business. That's the other part about this. They're not hired guns. We don't hire these contractors that are working on 100 uh, applications. We're actually teaching them, this is how custody information is structured. Here's how capital market structures their data. Here how's it, how's, how it needs to overlap. This is what the actual user is trying to do. We're teaching them the business of the middle and back office operations so they have context when they actually code. I have to tell you, my, my developers are suggesting features on behalf of our clients. Oh, hey, by the way, while we're doing this, since this is the same data, data element, we can use our AI technology to express this data point here. So it's handy for them. They don't have to worry about it and look for it. That can only happen to someone who's actually physically creating and constructing that stuff along the lines. But what that does in terms of structuring a two time zone uh, uh, work structure is the technology team is uninterrupted and they know what we gave them 
is solid because we've already validated it like 10 or hundred times with our innovation team. Right. So those things are, those stories are kind of waiting and ready for them to take on. And that's how we are able to roll out. That's why, to be honest with you, you, you would never have heard if I worked in some of these institutions in three and a half years that we've been in business to have both a, 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 a business rollout to broker dealers as well as to custodians and much less combining them together. I'd like to now get your view on something which is, uh, it's a bit of a prevalent trend in fintech right now, which is this almost holy trinity they tout it as, cloud, IoT, and AI within organizations. I want to know if you agree that this kind of trinity is particularly um, important for technology right now, and if you'd add anything to that list. Yeah, I mean... uh... For us, maybe not IoT, but definitely cloud uh, is there. But the one that's missing is probably the blockchain that you know, mentioned earlier. Mm. Uh, you know, Sapphire is developing the foundation to allow blockchain and smart contracts to be adopted. Uh, we talked earlier about how the nomenclature is different between firms and uh, that there's no finance standardization. We're going to help with that standardization by having the translation already done. This will allow us to adopt any blockchain technology out there that's been struggling to be adopted in finance. And a lot of people are looking to get that pushed through. And uh, we have several talks with several different firms that are very excited to partner and have some ideas to us. We'll, we'll see how that turns out. We're really focused on our mission right now on streamlining the pre-trade space and fixing up the trade and the post-trade. Um, but yeah, blockchain would be the other technology of that in there. So moving on now to another topic, which is partners. Now, who you choose to partner with in business can often have a real kind of um, determining factor on how well you succeed. Now, aside from JP Morgan and BlackRock, who we've already discussed, are there any other kind of great partnerships you'd like to bring up now? Or could you describe for me what the ideal attributes for a great partner would be for you? Sure. I mean, uh, look, uh, getting, uh, you know, strategics like uh, BlackRock and JP Morgan uh, with us is, is a huge win. Um, it, it's, it's a validation of what we bring to the table. Uh, we're working with a number of other institutions, um, none of which I can name right now. But um, but the, the, believe me, if you if you got J.P. Morgan and BlackRock out on our press release, we're we're talking to all the big ones for certain. Um, the the, uh, the uh, what I like to kind of go into is the other types of partnerships to be considered. So you know, I kind of put it out there that you can be. Uh, you can be, you can, if you try to be the master of many, you'll be the master of none, mm. right? What we are is we're the master of one thing that we do extremely well. We don't try to do everything. I mentioned before the analogy, and, and Stephen's used this before, uh, uh, you know, during our press release, that we're kind of this Windows operating system of the pre-trade space. And if you think about Windows, it's an open platform. It comes with Internet Explorer. You can browse the web, but you're not, you're not, push to just use Internet Explorer. You can use Google Chrome or Firefox to browse the web, right? And so what, what Sapphire does is that we provide all these services on our platform. So buy-side firms who are small, like I told you, the Gabino hedge fund that has got $5 to his name, um, doesn't have to worry about buying a whole bunch of the solutions. There's some things that come out of the box, right, with Sapphire. But we are actively connecting with other fintech partners that have specialized in these areas. And we actually express and launch them out uh, from our platform. We promote them uh, and the clients who want to subscribe to them, there's a, there's a win-win there. And what this does is it allows them to actually bring the value that they can and that they, they, they have ex excellent te technology instead of us doing it all. 
but then combining it in one holistic experience. So um, they're, they're folks that we're working with in like legal negotiations. When you're doing these new accounts, you've got to negotiate new ISDAs, investment management agreements. We, we actually integrate with Glyph, for example. They have an open API that's a, a global legal entity identifier repository, right, of entity information to help keep the entity information clean for across uh, counterparties. Uh, we, we're talking to several fintechs around post-trade solutions, right? Can we help supply our data to them to help bring a better offering to ex- their existing clients? So the idea here is we're going to continue to innovate. We'll touch on all these things. We're not interested in necessarily doing it all. We're just trying to create this connectivity and democratization of data to kind of disrupt the industry. Um, but those are the partners that actually will be game changers. And, and given the news that we've had, I think there's even more incentive that those partners now get more sunlight on them so that people feel, wow, there is a, a like an ecosystem where we can actually construct a, a happy win-win situation between all these different fintechs. Now, I couldn't uh, speak to you guys today without mentioning COVID-19. It's, uh, it's kind of like the hot topic to do with everything right now. And I'd like to know to what extent Sapphire has been affected by it or not, as the case may be. So has it oh. made you consider new ways of working or new ways of recruiting? Uh, what would you say? Well, for us, it hasn't changed much. We, uh, we're, we're part of innovation, right? So we can work remotely if we need to. But what it has done, it's actually sped up a little bit of our business. Um, because of the broken system we talked to you about earlier, right, with the uh, email faxes and spreadsheets, people faxing on fax machines, you don't have that at home. And then you have the security and compliance issues of people, you know, working off of their home desktops and uh, how they're handling data and information. Uh, Working with something like a Sapphire will help streamline a lot of that, uh, allow it to be compliant, secure. So yeah, it's actually engaged a lot more conversations when all that started up. Uh, We had some new clients that we never talked to before just inquiring what we what we're able to do to help enhance their business and keep it going and i i'd add in terms of the work habits or changes probably not much we're a technology company right Mm. so uh the the beauty is that uh, we were already set up to kind of do all this remotely anyways um but the the we do believe in collaboration, especially for our tech team. Um, so sometimes being co-located, actually, we think it's actually best because uh, that's how we can actually teach the business context. Um, but since COVID, right, uh, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, you know, WebEx has been the standard. And I'd even say it even helped us gain more meetings with clients and, and more business because traditionally I would have to fly across the world, uh, go to people's offices, make pitches and whatnot. Now I'm actually more busy because I don't even have to allocate time for travel. I got meetings back to back to back to back where I'm now meeting more people via this, this paradigm. Um, so it's given us even more exposure. It's allowed us to, to scale even further. So now look into the future. 2021 is uh, still a few months off, but we can now start considering what it might look like. Do you two have a vision for what Sapphire will be accomplishing next year? Our, our vision was uh, a little bit alluded to in our one big thing during our live LinkedIn event two weeks ago. Uh, and I mentioned earlier in this interview that we're, we're looking to eliminate up to 70% of post-trade activities. Because a lot of this stuff is being assembled appropriately in the pre-trade space. You don't have to redo it in the post-trade. Um, then you have the automation of allocations, uh, instant settlement instructions, and then, you know, the elimination of trade breaks, which I'm sure Gabino can tell you more about in detail. Yeah. No, I, I think that's the, that's the big news is, is, is that um, as a result of doing all this pre-trade stuff between, you know, buy sides, sell sides, custodians, prime brokers, 
um, I think that's that's the big news um, right now. Uh, you know what we're doing in the pre-trade space is is uncontested, and I think there's there's a lot of motivation to get that through. So it, we will see the fulfillment of that. But I think the big story is actually showing that uh, we, we've successfully actually done this stuff not just in pre-trade but trading and post-trade. Um, so that's that's I think that's one of the big big headlines we're looking at for 2021. So is there a key message or theme that you'd like to emphasize? Yeah, the, the, the theme and model we kind of went by is sophisticated yet simple, mm. right? There's all these complicated situations that we have uh, with all the different firms and how do we streamline that entire experience to make it user-friendly? So if you go to our webpage or see some of our social media advertisements, they are saying right now, sophisticated yet simple. I would add like from a business standpoint, um, we're bringing pre-trade through and to post-trade, right? So we're not siloing things any longer, right? Uh, it, it's about getting all this stuff right in pre-trade and now just making it available for treat, treat, uh, uh, trading and post-trade. So uh, bringing pre-trade to post-trade, I think, is, is the way to kind of think about it because in the world today, everything's all siloed and now we're breaking down those walls and kind of like making it all streamlined, kind of bringing it all together. Again, I think the main challenge with what I told you, Things got siloed because the volumes got bigger. People got disparate, different teams to handle all this. Now, if we can help people understand how it all kind of comes together, you don't need to keep those silos the same way. And finally, is there anything that we haven't already discussed that you would like to mention? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of ground here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, uh, speaking with me today. It's been a real pleasure learning more about Sapphire and learning more about your mission. Terrific. Otherwise, William, thank you for the time. I don't see any. Oh, thank you very much. We appreciate it. It was very enjoyable. No, the pleasure was completely mine. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Take care. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.